are going through a series. It's our second week in the series called Any Questions? Question mark. Exclamation point. Question mark. Um, and this is a time where we are asking the church to turn in questions you have about God, about Bible, about the theology, about anything like in that realm that you've always wondered about. And we will preach on it, or, or we will possibly preach on it with the time that we have. So last week we talked about what is the purpose of the church? You know, why do we gather? That's where all this talk has kind of come from. And I encourage you to listen to that message. It's one of those messages that, is, that comes up every year a couple times and using different passages of Scripture, but the message is the same. If you want to see what the church is all about, uh, last week has a lot of that information. But this week, this is a question of great interest. And it's a question that the unchristian world has written extensively about from their perspective. Um, and it's always a very popular New York Times bestseller type question. And this is Satan, demons, angels. Uh, and the questions are, there's, there's, there's pretty much, uh, I think there's like eight or nine questions, and I'm going to answer some of them today and some of them next week. It's going to be a two-parter. But I figure that since I'm answering nine questions, that's pretty good. So I'm going to read these, some of these questions. Why weren't angels given free will like humans? Since angels don't have free will, how did Satan decide to turn against God? People don't turn into angels after they die, right? What is the significance of all the angels in the book of Revelation? How much do we know about angels? Do angels really walk on earth with us? What power does Satan have? How does he use demons to accomplish his goals? How much of the sin and temptation in our lives is from us, our own flesh, sinful flesh? How much is uh, the result of Satan and demons putting things in our path? How do you identify or differentiate between a demon and your own heart that is kind of wandering from God? Or your lifestyle, your attitude? Do people who are possessed by a demon know that they are possessed? And how can a Christian tell if someone has a demon in them? Are you interested in these questions? Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. I was, I was pretty excited to, to jump in. So I, I, I promise to respond to the questions, not necessarily answer them to even my, my, my satisfaction, but to respond from Scripture and see what we can learn. And I, I can tell you, like many other subjects of interest, I wish there was more in the Bible than there is, more information, more knowledge. But regardless of whether that's in the Bible or not, it's a reality that we're living with all the time. The spiritual realm is, is pressing upon our lives, and these things are happening. So yeah, before exploring this interesting topic of angels and demons, um, you know, we, I'm just going to recognize there's like one to three passages in the Bible that talk about Satan's origin, and it's in prophetic literature, and talks about the rebellion in heaven, talks about will, free will, and all that kind of stuff. It's a few, it's a few passages that we can look at, and we can learn from those passages. But if I was going to teach on salvation, it would be a much more solid sermon, because there's like 400,000 references to salvation in the Bible. But as far as this subject... There's just a few as far as the origins of evil and Satan. So, uh, first of all, you know, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that angels and demons are in the world today and around doing their thing, which we're talking about. Um, angels and demons are not a different species from one another. It's not like the cartoons where, you know, there's this devil with like the, this fuzzy devil with a long forked fork tongue and a tail and horns, and then there's these beautiful angels. No. Angels are beautiful. They're, it's once demons were previously angels, and they're of the same species, um, though there are different types and different jobs for those angels and messengers of God. But 
they're, they're the same, uh, they're the same uh, race as, as angels. Uh, so let, let's, let's go through this and try to look at the origins of evil, um, origin of Satan and, and demons and all these kinds of things using the scriptures that we have. So angels, angels, not demons, what were they? Actually, both angels and, and, you know, angels in the beginning were spiritual beings created by God to serve God. That's what, that's what they are. And they appear in the Bible over 200 times. You know, angels have assisted prophets. Um, they've assisted kings. They assisted Jesus Christ. If you think you don't need help from God's heavenly messengers, you know, Jesus Christ had help from God's heavenly messengers. And, and they appear both in the Old and the New Testament and throughout the history of the church as well. Demons, which are really angelic beings who are in rebellion against God and serve evil, have likewise hindered God's people, contributed to tempting God's people, terrorizing God's people. You know, from, from King Saul in the Old Testament, he had a tormenting spirit, to King Jesus when he was walking, when he was in the wilderness, fasting and seeking after God. Demons, Satan, in fact, was tempting Jesus in the desert. And um, demons are also at work tempting and trying to destroy and kill God's family, his people, the church. That's, that's a reality. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, demons are, that's what they're about. Angels and demons uh, are the same species. And though, though we say, though we like to say when someone dies, oh, heaven gained a new angel today, that's just not true. Now, when someone dies, as nice as it would sound for them to turn into an angel, it's a completely different species. It would be like me dying and turning into a lion. You know, it'd just be different. Instead, we can look forward, we can look at Jesus' glorified body after he was resurrected. He was able to, to do all kinds of extra stuff that we can't do. And that's what we're going to be like when we're in heaven with God. We're going to have a, a glorified human bodies, but we're not going to turn into angels. So what do these angels do? What have they done in the scriptures? Well, Angels praise God. That's something they do in Revelation. That's something they do in Genesis. I mean, uh, that's, what, that's something they did at the birth of Christ. Remember in Luke 2, 13 to 14, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Angels praise God. Angels also fight spiritual battles. And again, this is something I wish there was many more scriptures about. We can look at it in Revelation, but we can also look at it in the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel is praying, and it says in, in Daniel 10, 13, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. These are clearly, if you look at the context, this, this is, these are not human beings, but these are, the prince of Persia is a demonic, uh, a demonic spirit that's, that's uh, getting in the way of things. And Michael, one of the angels, comes and helps in answer to the prayer. So angels fight spiritual battles for God. Angels deliver God's messages to humankind. In Luke 10, the angel says to, to Mary and Joseph, or to Mary, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. They, they give messages to humankind. And there's many, many examples of that in the scripture. And angels guard and generally minister to God's people on God's behalf. That's what they do. Hebrews, there's a bunch of scriptures here. Hebrews 1.14 says, Aren't all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? 
Who's that? That's us. We will inherit salvation through Christ. Humans, not angels, not anyone else, us. We will, we will have salvation. Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve us on God's behalf. Luke 4.10, quoting Psalm 91, says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. That's an Old Testament and a New Testament um, passage about angels. I'd like to point out that angels especially have been said to especially guard and preserve vulnerable little ones. According to Jesus Christ in Matthew 18.10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And you know, someone with four little kids, that's very, very touching to think about, um, that God has ministering spirits who are guarding my little ones. But I believe that that passage also refers to people that make themselves like children to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we are all God's children, and God's ministering spirits are protecting us and doing all kinds of things from day to day that we can't see, but that have real results in the real world. At God's command, angels are preserving us, guarding us, um, as we are also vulnerable little children in God's presence, right? Let these things about angels work their way into your, your mind so that when you're thinking about your life tomorrow, you think about this extra layer of what God is, might be doing that you can't see. Um, God's angels, they fight battles, they praise God, they deliver messages, they minister on God's behalf, and they guard the vulnerable ones, the little ones. But the question is, that was asked was, do these angelic beings have free will? And this is a harder question, because clearly, in the beginning, God created angels. Just angels. They were ministering spirits. And then there was a rebellion, and angels and, and demons were separated from the angelic host and went and sent to the earth to serve evil and serve Satan. So it seems like there is some free will happening at, at least some point in history. Uh, can angels choose to follow God and carry out his commands or to rebel against God and do the opposite of what God wants? And the two passages I'm going to point us to are Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19, and Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Again, not a lot of Scripture, but enough for us to catch a snapshot of what God might want us to know about, about in this situation. So Ezekiel 28 is about the king of Tyre, which is a real king named Hiram, who was an evil king. Um, and in, in the prophetic literature of the Bible, many times uh, the Scripture will start with a very evil person or situation, and then it prophetically begins talking about evil and Satan and things like that. So we'll see that in this passage. It's clearly not just about a person. From the first sentence, it's talking about evil in this person, then moves on to something that's much more cosmic in nature about the origins, I think, a good case to be made, or the origins of Satan and evil. So Ezekiel 28, 11, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. Say to him, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Now listen, tell me if you think this is about a man. You were the seal of perfection. Already we know that's not the case. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, in the beginning. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, crystallite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Wow, good job me. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. 
You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your, your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, I'm sorry, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of their, your splendor. So I threw you to the earth I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have de desecrated our sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you before are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Now, what does this sound like to you? It's, a, it's an origin story. It's talking about the Garden of Eden. It's talking about creation. It's talking about the fiery stones of God's mountain where this being was with God until that being chose by an act of its free will to rebel against God and to, to ruin everything God has made, including his people, and was sent to the earth. But this is, this is a biblical prophecy. And it's much like other biblical prophecies where it starts with a very evil person or situation and then prophetically it moves into this realm of talking about cosmic things, big things that we can't explain by any historical situation. Uh, prophetic literature, if you read it in the Bible and you, and you read about people prophesying, you know, many times there's almost an ecstatic pro pro prophesying that happens. You think about uh, the prophets in uh, First and Second Samuel who are, who are prophesying before God. And uh, they, they just, the spirit came upon even King Saul and he prophesied even when he was disobeying God. But there's sort of a spiritual, a spiritual anointing that leads to pro prophecy and writing prophecy. And that's no doubt what Ezekiel encountered. And if you read the rest of it, you can see lots of visions that he had. You know, in my life, and I'm trying to bring this to our reality and what we know, and, and you know, in my life, due to some trauma and some extreme grief recently and sadness, uh, out of nowhere, you know, I really felt overcome, and I just fell, fell down and was, was crying, uh, grieving, you know, the loss that we just had in our family. And I was, and I was so sad, and I'd never, I'd never been more sad, I didn't feel, when my cousin passed away uh, several weeks ago. And uh, I don't know if you, I think some of you have, have experienced this, I'd never experienced it. But there was so much grief flowing out of me for my cousin and my family and what we went through that I felt like I was like throwing up grief, just like, you know, like on the ground, just not able to, to, to move. And I think many of you have probably experienced something like this before. But as I entered this state of grief, I really felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. And I, I believe that I prophesied. And it was very, very strange. I, I, I started just sharing you know, in the first person, you know, talking about what my cousin went through in her life and feeling, um, and feeling empathy and, and sadness over what, what happened with her. Um, and I felt like I could almost see the world through her eyes in a way. I could kind of understand and have empathy for her. The Holy Spirit gave me, gave me that empathy and understanding. Um, for about 20 minutes, you know, I was just in this place, just grief and speaking uh, truth about about things, and then it turned into this worship of God, where where uh, I could see just God 
embracing my cousin. I could see God speaking with words of comfort about my cousin. And then just, then it just turned into praising God for who he was. And it was just one of those things that's totally uncontrollable, like when, you, when you're nauseous and you just can't help but, you know, um, it just came out of me. And I'd never experienced anything, anything like that before. But in the depths of grief, I believe I experienced Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, God met me. And I think that this experience is typical of what other people have experienced when they've prophesied in this way in the past. Um, you start with something that you know, but then you start kind of speaking just truth about who God is and what you know, who you know he is from the scriptures. And it's comforting because it's the word of God. You know, a good example of prophecy is Isaiah 53. This is a, one of our beloved passages about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. And you can see uh, in this passage, it starts out by talking about Israel. Isaiah 53 is talking about Israel, but very shortly, just like the Ezekiel passage, it begins talking about the Messiah. Just out of nowhere, it just pops out of Isaiah. He says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that, he, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. But surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, this passage starts talking about Israel growing up like a tender shoot and a nation to whom the arm of the Lord had been revealed. But then it shifts into something much more specific, a prophecy about something that has not happened yet, about one person, one man who would represent Israel and would be wounded and crushed for the sins of God's people from the beginning to our day and into the future. They'd, all those sins would be laid upon this man and by his wounds we'd be healed. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, this is what prophecy is like. It starts with something familiar. A death in my family, um, a, an evil king in, in Ezekiel, or in this case, the nation of Israel, and then it shifts. It's talking about something that is to come or something that's just true. This is how prophecy often works. Um, so in, in our original passage from Ezekiel 28, it starts in the king of Tyre and then shifts. Our second passage about the origin of Satan and, and this free will question is Isaiah 14, 12. It says, How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? Stars are often used to, to picture um, angels or angelic beings. How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You were once, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, the other angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So here, here's a little narration of, of the truth of what Satan experienced on the earth. Um, he raised himself above the heavenly host and wanted to raise himself above to God's very throne. 
and for this he was cast to the earth. This is a further commentary on this Ezekiel uh, 28 passage, which kind of fills in some of the blanks of our knowledge about the origins of Satan and demons and their history from Eden you know, to the present time. In Revelation 12.4, likewise, the prophecy talks about one-third of the stars being knocked out of the sky. And this is thought, again, to be referring to Satan being expelled along with a third of the angels of heaven. A large amount of angels became demons with, 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 uh, with Satan as their leader. So putting this all together and realizing there's not a ton of Scripture talking about this stuff, you know, it appears to me angels did have free will at one point. You know, one out of three every angels seems to have chosen to rebel against God in a certain time in the beginning of creation. Um, and these rebellious angels look exactly like God's angels, beautiful to behold, but they have turned from God to serve Satan and his works of evil and blasphemy in the world and to attack God's people. I say, though, that they, I believe they had free will. But um, following the story of Satan and the angels rebelling in heaven, angels are subsequently referred to as being holy. Psalm 89. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord. Your faithfulness, too, is in the assembly of your holy ones. Now, since we know that Jesus is the only one that's holy and without sin, we have to assume that um, in some way, I believe, this, I, I believe that God's grace has limited um, the angel's rebellion and choosing against him to this one part of history. Um, I think that's uh, my personal opinion, you know, not that it says explicitly in the scripture, but I believe that the grace of God, like, like it does in the world, it limited evil so that, our, so that God's people might continue to be preserved on the earth until Jesus comes to make things right. You know, I think that Angels went from a free will situation, and when that was all decided in the heavenly council of heaven, and the, a third of the angels went to earth, and Satan, and the other ones were serving God, that that was it. I don't believe there was any more choosing. I think that angels thenceforth became holy who were serving God, uh, sinless and without the propensity to sin. So what do we know so far? You know, God created angels. He didn't create demons. Demons became demons by rebelling against God. Same species. There, was, there seems to have been a probation period in the beginning of creation when many angels, perhaps a third of them, were cast to the earth with Satan, rebelled against God. And since that time, these rebellious, um, God-created angels are referred to as demons. Um, and it also seems that since that time, in, in, my, in my view, the battle lines have been drawn. You know, those angels are without hope of returning to God's good graces. Jesus didn't die for angels. And those who remain faithful to God were sealed in God have continued on God's side, worshiping God and doing his will on the earth. All the things that we see angels doing in the Bible. And I say there's no hope of returning to God because it says in Matthew 25, Jesus says this. Then he will say to those, the people on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, the eternal fire of judgment symbolizes God's judgment was prepared for the devil, for Satan and his angels. There's no hope for them. There's no redemption for them. There is, of course, redemption for every human being. Even those who have aligned themselves with evil in the past, there's hope of redemption every second that we're alive. You know, God, is, God, God died for us. But for the, angel, for the angels that rebelled against God, their, their fate, along with Satan's fate, is clearly sealed from the testimony of Scripture. They're having their fun on the earth right now and rolling around doing what evil does, but there will be a, a reckoning for those demons and there's been a fire prepared for them, according to Christ. Their fate, their fate is set. But us as humans, we are always 
always, always, to the moment of our last breath, given the opportunity to, to turn from evil and turn towards God. And that's an amazing gift that Jesus has given us. Um, angels are, are beautiful to behold. You know, even the fallen angels and, and Satan himself. The scripture said he, he was an angel of light. But believers must be careful and discerning when interacting with the spiritual realm, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Because not everything that looks good is good or safe, even if it feels beautiful, good, and safe. Some things are just not safe. In 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 15, it says, And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants it is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So here we again we see this hint of a probation period where, where demons were sealed in their judgment and God's angels were sealed to righteousness. Um, and this is, this is kind of the, the world in which we live. And interacting with the spiritual realm, interacting with the spiritual realm uh, requires, um, it requires a lot of discernment because things that look good are often evil masquerading as good. That's, that's just a fact. Um, even Satan hid the evil. So it's all going to be many times hidden. And we're going to, again, next week we're going to talk about discernment and understanding what is good and what's not good. But spoiler alert, we only pray to God through Jesus Christ. That's all we do with the spiritual realm. We don't pray to angels. We can't see the angels. We don't know what they're doing at any given time unless God shows us somehow. We don't pray to angels. We pray to God, and then God dispatches angels in the world. Likewise, this should go without saying, we do not pray to demons. If you pray to anything except for Jesus Christ, it will be a curse on you. I believe that. It's just, you could, you could, uh, you could meet a, kind, a very kind person that claims to be spiritual and claims to be able to give you um, a prediction about the future or some kind, of, some kind of blessing or truth about your life. Think of fortune teller or a medium or whatever it might be. Something that seems very harmless, something that people play as party games. But through this fun-looking thing, if we're, not, if we're not praying to, Jesus, to God through Jesus Christ, it's a curse. There's only two sources of spiritual power in the world, and that is God and, and Satan and evil. So we better make sure we're praying in Jesus' name to God. And when I'm dealing with the spiritual realm, I don't pray to anything except for God through Jesus Christ. Um, I pray for God to, to, to do what, what I want him to do, but I don't, uh, I don't pray to angels or anything like that, and I, I think we should not. So though, though this origin story of, of Satan and evil, it's, it's, it's this kind of obscure story in prophecy, you know, there's no doubt from a much larger amount of content in the Bible that both angels and demons are out and about in the world. They're influencing God's treasured creation. Um, they're in, 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 they're uh, interacting with people in good and bad ways, demons and angels. And, uh, you know, angels influence and guide God's people as they serve God as his messengers. And as God dispatches them in response to our prayers to God as they intervene and carry out God's will in the world. You know, demons work hard to tempt, coerce, entrap, and ultimately kill and destroy 
God's treasured possession, especially his church, especially those who have stood up and said, I'm going to serve on the worship team. I'm going to share a word of, in a faith story. I'm going to do something in Jesus' name. That moment, the battle lines are drawn. Like, you will have a target on your back. <laughs> because God doesn't want you to, because God, because God's enemy does not want you to be ministering in his name. He wants to keep you in condemnation. He wants to whisper lies to you and destroy you. Not only do that, but to destroy and kill you. Because you are beloved of God, every person. Christian or not, beloved of God, God so loved the world. So if Satan can't get to Jesus, which he wasn't able to do, he's going to try to get to, to Jesus' children, which is us. So you have, to keep, you have to keep your guard. That being said, there's nothing to be scared of because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm, I'm not scared of demons. I'm not, I ain't scared of no demon. <laughs> but I respect their spiritual power enough to pray to God to do what God will do. And, uh, and, pray, and, and also pray for other people who are being oppressed by demonic spirits. Because truthfully, many times people, sometimes through no, no fault of their own, but just because they've been sinned against by somebody, or maybe they have chosen into some kind of sin, and there's some, there's some kind of just torture that comes upon them, and only God can set that person free through Christ. No amount of you know, studying the Bible and um, just trying harder to do better can really help you, but you need God to set you free from that oppression. So this is what we do. We pray to God through Jesus Christ to do what we know God's will is, which is for his people to be free, to live life, and to live life abundantly. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the unseen realm, you know, we keep our eyes focused on Christ. Our prayers directed to God through Christ. We leave the angels and demons to God, to God's wisdom and authority. We're going to continue next week in this, in this uh, passage or in this, uh, in this study talking about the practical outworking of this. This is meant to lay a framework for understanding the origins of evil and how evil works in the world today. But I think we've seen today, why, let's see how we did. Why weren't angels given free will like humans? Um, well, because they did have free will at some point. <laughs> um, and had Satan decide to turn against God because he, he, has, he had free will at some point. Uh, people do not turn into angels after they die. The angels in the book of Revelation are carrying out God's will on God's behalf, not on their own power. And, uh, and there's a lot to be known about angels and demons from the scriptures, though some parts are more obscure than we'd like them to be. There's enough there. God has given in his wisdom enough for us to live safely and effectively as Christians through what he's given us in his word. So next week we're going to look into this uh, as, a, as a practical topic, how do we pray for people who are oppressed by demons? You know, how, how do we um, discern between what is just an ingrained behavior pattern and a sin problem or a demonic problem? Um, and how do we get free to follow God with everything that we have in us? These are the things we're going to talk about uh, next week. So I'd like to close us in prayer, and I'd like you to take this prayer as, as, um, as armor. Heavenly Father, we recognize... It is for freedom that Christ Jesus has set us free. So I pray that by your strength we would stand firm, not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Whether that's a yoke of religious tradition or a yoke of evil, Lord, let us not be constrained, but let your people be free. I pray that you would put, each, put the full armor of God on each person in this church, that they might be able to withstand the fiery arrows of the enemy. And I pray that you'd help us to stand firm, 
and see how you will deliver us and work in our lives as we interact with this very um, real force that's in the world today. I thank you so much for the church, Lord. I thank you for your word, for what you have shown us, and I pray that we would live in light of these things this week, remembering that your messengers are working on your behalf in our lives and the lives in people in the world and in the lives of our other people we know, and that there's also evil masquerading as light out there that we need to be careful not to participate in or encourage. We lift up your people. I lift up a blessing on the fathers today as they are celebrated by their families. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.